Welcome to the Mr. R Show, brought to you by the Monthly Recurring Revenue Institute. If you're an accounting firm owner or manager seeking harmony between work and life while optimizing profitability, you're in the right place. Our goal, to empower you with the knowledge and tools necessary to enhance both your personal and financial well-being. In every episode, we bring you insights from esteemed individuals in the field who share their valuable expertise and practical steps. Join us on this journey as we collaborate to revolutionize your business and enrich your life. Welcome back to the Mr. R Show presented and hosted by the Monthly Recurring Revenue Institute. On today's episode, we're going to take a dive and a deep look into what it means to subscribe to a better firm. So without going into too much detail on this as well, you can read a little bit in the show notes. Even if I had to pick another person to discuss this with us, couldn't pick a better one than Chris. I've actually sat in plenty of meetings, presentations, etc. you name it, with him and his team in their private practice dating back, I mean, probably almost 10 years ago, they started to implement this. So really excited for this conversation. I am almost 100% positive you will take some very valuable information from this discussion as Chris really walks us through some of the challenges they had in their private practice, his reasoning for really updating and modifying and modernizing the way that they run their practice, the way that they bill their clients. You'll hear all about that, including the eight steps that he has identified to actually implement that within your practice if you so choose. So let's stop wasting time. Let's jump into it. Grab the pen, grab the paper. Let's go. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Mr. R Show. That's right. You heard it. Your favorite podcast. We know it is. Don't lie to us. We are here on a great topic. Uh, It may seem familiar to some people. I know you heard a little bit about it here just briefly in the intro, but we pried him away from the desk, away from meetings, away from presentations, conferences, airplane rides, Uber rides. We actually pulled on... Uh, Chris Pacuro with us today, founder and educator here with us at the Monthly Recurring Revenue Institute. How's it going, man? How are you? Things are great, John. Good to see you again. I'm very excited about this topic. This one I'm extremely passionate about. And actually, this presentation, or rather what we're going to talk about today, the first time I ever presented on this was a few years ago. And although we've been operating in on a subscription-based model um, and on our private CPA firm for almost 10 years, it was about a few years ago where I was challenged by, uh, or, you know, asked by an organization to present how we're doing what we're doing to, to their user base. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and I forced us to put this presentation together to, for me to really dive deep into how I got to where we were at in the subscription model. Um, and then really after that, I thought, gosh, we need to help people out. And that was, this is one of the building blocks of the, of, of the MRR Institute. Really? I mean, this is, this is something that we teach in our mastermind groups. And I think that this podcast, anyone even considering going to a membership model or subscription-based model should dive into this and listen to this. Because it's it's really what clients want. It helps you be work mutually together with your clients. And and the bottom line is it's time to throw away if your timesheets. It's time to delete that app. You should have already, in most cases. So I'm excited to dive in of you know, we've gone from this in our industry understanding about how important value pricing is in a subscription model. Now we know that, John, you've traveled around with me also to conferences. We know that at least 50% of the people that we present to want to do this. They just don't know how. So we're going to, this is going to be a great starting point for anyone considering uh, moving in this direction. And really it works for, you know, you you alluded to something or kind of tipped off on something there too, that this is very fitting. Even looking outside, I know everybody listening to this or the majority of our audience here are tax professionals. But this is something that reaches even farther outside of our industry, right? So, and as you mentioned too, so obviously traveling with you, knowing you for so long here, you know, 20 plus years, I have 
firsthand seeing you from friend and client side of the business go from a traditional way of doing it to this. And and again, kind of watching from the, we'll say riding the pine, we'll use a little bit of a, a sports sports reference there. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting to watch, you know, some of the challenges that came with it about just relaying to people about the change. But really, it wasn't that hard to understand. I know there was, I think probably the only people that had an issue with it that I seen, and it wasn't they really had an issue with it, they just didn't understand it, was my, you know, 80-year-old grandmother, who, who you know, that was, it was a little, little change for her. I mean, she still referred mm-hmm. to you as her, her bookkeeper. And that's just, you know, to a CPA, that's like a, a slap in the face a little bit. Um, but it was really exciting to watch you guys go through this change. And really from a business, you know, as a client of y'all's, it's, it, it just makes a little bit more sense, right? It's a little bit easier just to say, all right, it's X number of dollars per month for a subscription. These are all the services that are included in this prescri- or subscription. And you're not just getting random, well, we'll say random, but you're not just getting invoiced for tasks and et cetera throughout the year, right? So it, it just makes everything work a lot easier and a lot more seamless on both sides of the fence. So I know you've broken this down into eight steps. So let's let's kind of turn it over to you and walk us through those eight and you know, obviously give us some of your experiences along the way. So some of the challenges you guys have seen, maybe a couple examples of um, you know, maybe mm-hmm. some pros and cons and pushback and high fives that you guys had. Well, I'm, I'm glad you ju- addressed that. Uh, the ch- The biggest challenge in this is handling your legacy clients. We're going to talk about that, so take a breath. If you're listening to this and you're, you're a tax professional, you you might be getting the shakes already thinking, I really want to do this, but oh my gosh, what about Mr. Smith and Mrs. Jones and the little old, you know, the, the, the mature age lady that pays me in meatballs? Wasn't that the Adam Sandler uh, movie? <laughs> the Wedding Singer? Uh, oh man, yes, that's a great reference, actually. So, <laughs> the thing is, take a breath. Understand that whatever you choose to do moving forward does not necessarily apply to all your legacy clients immediately. We're going to talk about strategies uh, for dealing with legacy clients. And as one of my favorite, favorite songs says, you can't look forward when you're looking back. So think about this as something to move forward with. Keep an open mind. We're going to walk through these eight simple steps. And, um, and then if it's something that intrigues you, we're going to give you some opportunities to dive deeper. But let's talk about, before we even start diving into the steps, what is a membership-based subscription business model? What we call MBSB. What is it? We're going to talk about why accountants should consider moving to it. Then we're going to go through those eight steps. How to even get started with it. Getting started just like anything, just like any habit that you want to get into or any business practice. Um, it, that that's the hardest part. We're going to talk about that in those eight simple steps. And then I think we'll have a few minutes left. I will give you some free uh, implementation hacks that are usually designated for people in our mastermind group. But um, we're feeling generous today, Jen. Oh, yeah. It's that time of year, right? You guys are roll, rolling off the extension period for for filing. So you're you're feeling saucy. I appreciate it. No, hey, we we try, we aim to please. Uh, so go. I often get, if you look up at value pricing or subscription model membership base, you're going to find a bunch of different, uh, what we would call uh, definitions. So we just went to the internet, right? Everything in the internet's correct. But, uh, <laughs> but looking at Investopedia, which is a pretty good source just for kind of defining financial terms, um, Per Investopedia, subscription business models are based on the idea of selling a product or service to receive monthly or yearly recurring subscription revenue. And we're gonna we're gonna talk in, in our hacks a little bit about the you know the charging monthly or yearly. Um, these type of businesses focus on customer retention. Now we can call let's just say client retention over customer acquisition. In essence, subscription business models focus on the way revenue is made. So that a single customer pays multiple payments for prolonged access to a good or service instead of a large upfront one-time price. Now the economy is trending towards more subscriptions instead of ownership for cars, software, entertainment, or shopping. 
this increases the LTV, lifetime value of the client. So let's stop there. Many of us tax pros are building a tax practice. And the tax practice, if you look at it as an asset, is based on your goodwill and based on the lifetime value of the client, based on, the, in, just like any business, it's based on your cash flow and your um, um, discretionary earnings for the owner. So the more you can increase that value, even if, so a, a business that's doing a million dollars of subscription business is going to get valued much higher than a million dollars of turn and burn tax prop. That's just the way it is. So not only are you becoming more efficient, you're assisting your clients, you're sitting with them, not across from them at the table. You're also increasing the value of your business. So that's, that's, that is the membership based. Um, that's what a membership based subscription business is defined as. Awesome. Awesome. So they're really getting through that. So really that gave us the background of it all, right? So that gave us kind of the intro on what exactly were the definition that we're looking at. So before we get, before we get too far into it too, really, if you had to answer the question of at what point did you realize that this is probably a good idea or you wanted to get away from kind of the standard, you know, the, the cliche way of running your practice. So what really triggered this? If, if you don't mind me asking, or you wouldn't mind sharing that with us? Um, well, I would say. Besides the sleepless nights, you know, the right. no, this overworked on the pain. I had the opportunity to, to uh, this is the third time someone's asked me this question, which is great. This is the first time I'm going to not tear up, I think. There you go. But for me, it was a lifestyle situation and I could. My kids now are 14, 13, and 10. And straight up, I missed the first five years of the older two's lives. I couldn't tell you anything almost about it. Thank God my wife was on Facebook so I could see some pictures. It was a complete blur, <laughs> especially during from from Jan the middle of January to the middle of April. And um, it was very regrettable. It was profitable, but extremely regrettable. And during that time, it spans all of my kids' birthdays. Now, luckily, my little 10-year-old, I snapped out of this turn and burn bit, bit, way of doing things, um, you know, when he, by he, the time he was born. If I had to pick one, really one aha moment, it would, and there's a lot of moments, right? There wasn't one big pivot point, but it was March, uh, March 19th, 2010. Okay. So I had been in business about eight years. When you might say, why, what in the heck? Would you have a hangover from St. Patrick's Day? That would have been nice, but no. <laughs> That's my middle child, my daughter's birthday. And when, I am not kidding you. We were we were living in the Detroit area at the time, and my older child's 14 was 14 months old. I was at the hospital with my wife, sitting in the delivery room on a chair with my computer set up, and I knocked out 22 tax returns in our hospital stay. And the only time I stopped was when she was dilated enough to have this baby. And I put, turned on my computer, sat with her. I'm a little squirmy, but I still hung in there. And she did all the hard work, delivered her beautiful daughter. And then I went back to work. And anyone with children knows that first child, they have to kick you out of the hospital, right? You're like, oh, no, I can't be trusted. I can't leave here. This, you're feeding me. Once, you, once you're on the second child, you have to stay 24 hours and you're outie as quickly as possible. So luckily we were surrounded by family um, also. But but again, that was like, what am I doing? I'm cranking 22 tax returns the day of and the day after my daughter's born. That is ridiculous. And I had a 14-month-old at the time. Mm. So that, I, I, that was one of the big, big pivot moments. But honestly... And this is one of the reasons I have passion with this. I felt trapped. I was trapped and I trapped myself building a business based on me running it, not processes, based on clients controlling your workflow and based on deadlines controlling your workflow, not you controlling all that, based on tax compliance and not tax planning and strategy. So it took me a while to unravel. I would say the last decade we've been focused on the membership-based subscription business model. So the first 10 years of my of being in practice, I you know, did things the, the traditional firm way, which we're going to talk about. 
the second 10 years, the MBSB way. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think that's a perfect example, right? And a lot of people maybe, I mean, you have this, this memory, I'm sure you don't remember, or you, you might remember the exact time that you had this and time, everything. I mean, your, your memory is fantastic with dates and time and location, but like that example is just, I, and I know personally from knowing you, like that's just one piece of the puzzle, right? So like, I'm sure everybody has a story. If they've gone to this model already, I'm sure they have something, you know, maybe not the exact same, but something similar, right? Like what triggered change? So what actually triggered it? Maybe they made the change. Maybe they were afraid to, but I think the content we're going to, we're going to cover through and just the process and the comparison between the MBSB, you know, way of doing things versus the traditional firm way of doing things is probably, I wouldn't say again, shocking to anybody. A lot of people may have considered it. They just may not have known how to go about it. So I look forward to us chatting through this a lot. So give us a little bit, you know, kind of as we jump into these steps, give us a little bit of the comparison Mm -hmm. between the two of those. That's the traditional and this other MBSB way of doing this. Right. So let's talk about the traditional way. So your practice is time. You have time-based pricing in the MBSB. You've got relationship-based pricing. We talk about that all the time. Price the relationship, not the work. You're going to get more efficient with the work, right? You're not going to get in and you're going to dive deeper into that relationship. Traditional firms are extremely reactive where MBSB is proactive. Traditional firms are very compliance driven, as I said, where we are more planning driven. When you're in a traditional firm, your firm is a vendor to someone. They are an expense. Okay. In our model, we are a partner. We are an asset. And I tell that to people all the time, the tax pros. If your client, or and I tell prospective clients, if we get a lot of people coming to us that are not happy with their with their with their tax professional, and honestly, a lot of times it's it's a two way street, right? It's not one way or the other. Uh, but but my thought is, if you look at your tax professional as an expense and not an asset and not an investment into a relationship, then it's not the right fit. So a couple other things. I mean, the traditional firms are extremely labor intensive. We are very process intensive. We say it's only a problem until there's a process. And remember, when you're a traditional firm, you're selling your time. You can only sell your time once and it's gone. With a subscription model or value, even value pricing, you sell your knowledge and you can sell that knowledge over and over and over again. We know in that traditional model, you've got timesheets and accounts receivable, and you usually get paid after the work's complete. And that payment is usually seasonal, which the positive is a lot of it's in the beginning of the year, but I'm telling you, it gets dry quick, right? Where in the MBSB model, we have no accounts receivables. We have no write-offs. We are paid before any work is done, and we actually charge a client setup fee, which we're going to, one of our hacks. And we have year-round cash flow. <clears throat> I already know right now pretty much my cash flow for 2024. And we're and we're in the beginning of the fourth quarter of 2023. Now, obviously, there could be changes, right? You, we could have a client member um, transition away. We could bring on new clients. We could we could do more more things for our clients. But the bottom line is my my bait is think about if you're running a sports sports team. And let's say you're, you know, John, you like hockey. So if you're the if you're a hockey team and you have 18,000 uh, seat stadium, I already know that I've sold 12,000 season tickets, right? And so that's that's cool. So we have some capacity. You know, is every game going to sell out? Maybe not, but we already have we're already a break even or very profitable right off the bat. That doesn't even include parking and maybe some other implementation, food, drink, et cetera, et cetera. So. Year-round cash flow, getting paid in before, and man, when you don't have to worry about timesheets, that is like the handcuffs that every tax pro wants to get up, get off of their wrists. And then when you have accounts receivable, you get paid after the work's done, that just throws an element of, it's it just throws something in the middle of that relationship. When a client has price certainty and, a, and you're paid before the work's done, you can both focus on getting the tasks done at hand and not worried about, oh, how much am I going to bill them? Are they going to pay me? Are they going to gripe? 
should I put that much time into it because I might not get it, but, but I want to get them the best result possible. So that's the big difference between the traditional firm and MBSB firm model. And to really highlight, excuse me, really highlight a couple of those that, that stand out to me. Again, not being in y'all's world every day, really being on the client side of, of what you guys offer and really just, you know, owning a business for a while in any business, right? So what you know, you mentioned value-based pricing. We hear that a lot. So it's it's really just the value of the relationship, right? Is is somebody as I always used to say, you know, having a, a marketing firm, it's if marketing, if your marketing agency, your marketing partner ever becomes an expense, it's the wrong partner, right? It's always or it's they're the wrong person, they're the wrong fit. Like you had mentioned, it's always that partnership. So and I've seen this time and time again with you guys now running really at MBSB is that people really view you guys as partners where they're coming to you for recommendations for other services, implementations that you offer them. It's more than just, Hey, I'm here for my taxes. Help me with these and go away. Right. They're not beating you up on price month over month over month. They already know what it's going to be. They know what the relationship's all about. But then you obviously, you mentioned as well, you know, alleviating some of those things, timesheets, you're not getting paid to file timesheets, right? You're getting paid to do the work. So really by having to do the timesheets, you're now decreasing your revenue per hour really at the end of the day. And then cash flow is huge for any business, whether you're a car wash or making dog cookies or doing tax prep, right? So you mentioned seasonal versus year round. So it's a lot of this just makes absolute sense. And back to my earlier comment is you could almost take this and put it in any business model. I mean, we see car washes all over the place now going to a monthly subscription. People are like, what in the world? That's the last business on the planet you thought would go to a monthly subscription. But it makes sense, right? Well, that is a gr- I agree 100%. And that's a great segue as to why you should move to that. Right? So we all obviously understand the what it is. Who does, like, why? You're seeing premium vehicle, like Porsche and Audi, ha- go to a subscription model. Heck, your video gaming is a subscription model. PlayStation Plus, right? It used to be, oh, we'd go get our cartridge and then we had a disc. And the, But the bottom line is subscription model. John, um, think about vacationing has been on a subscription model for since cruises started. It's it's everywhere. Right. Dollar Shave right. Club, a guy with a great beard like yourself might be interested in that. <laughs> I mean, we have in our household alone just trying to think of all the subscriptions we have. Some of them are kind of, they're funny, right? Like when we had a newborn, we had diapers on a subscription. We have air filters for our HVAC system on a monthly subscription. Um, so many things, right? Amazon Prime's another example. I am I contend that I can almost MBS be any business. I've been working with some attorneys. Now, there are some legal stuff that has to be done hourly. You know, maybe it's estate work and probate work that's mandated. But, you know, estate... I feel like most businesses can go to the MBSB model, and that way you you really dive deep into those um, those relationships. Which takes me to another thing: we're we're getting close to drop getting into those steps, right? But it is great to think about a comparison. Just because everyone else is doing something doesn't mean we should do it, even though everyone else is going to this MBSB model. So let's think about how this would benefit your firm, though. Okay, because if you're listening to this, you're probably a tax pro. Or one of our family members, but I don't think our family members really listen to the to continuing at it. Um, we're going to think about how it benefits your clients in a minute, but how does it benefit your firm right now? And I'm going to, before I dive into this, I want to reiterate because you might start getting excited about this and then say, oh my gosh, I've got 500 clients. I can't. Don't worry about those clients. Don't, let's not worry about legacy clients right now. Let's move forward. Okay. One. You know, you so the advantages again, some of these things I mentioned, but foreseeable and consistent cash flow. It allows you to control your workflow instead of the workflow controlling you. Your client retention is going to be very high in your client loyalty. Your clients are not only partners, but they're fans of your organization. And your client retention is going to be even higher if you provide them with some price certainty and if you charge it some type of client setup fee, because even if it's modest, now they're in the boat together. Roll away those timesheets. Hourly billing and timesheets need to go bye-bye. Um, that's, you know, that that that's number, that's probably the, the biggest benefit immediately. So 
almost all your client interactions actually can create an additional revenue. I'd say two thirds of our client interactions create other opportunities for us to help our clients reduce their tax legally and ethically, which in turn sometimes, many times uh, generates more revenue. So that thought of what if, what if uh, the client A books a meeting every day? Trust me, they're not going to book a meeting. They might for the first week. I've never seen that happen. But eventually you're going to run out of things to talk about, or you're going to talk about things that could be revenue sources. You can, as I mentioned before too, I've seen that happen firsthand where it's, it's clients val again, I, I'm like beating a dead horse of that, but clients truly value the partnership more than they do previously. Right. So like you mentioned, it opens up doors to additional revenue. Yes. That's revenue for the practice, but there is so much of value to the client. They're not, they don't care if you're making, I mean, they're happy you're making money off it because they're benefiting way more than you are. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And many times, you know, again, those, cli those clients become your partners. I mean, they really are in many, many ways. Um, it, you know, and then some, you know, once in a while, a client might transition out of the membership. Like, let's say they had 10 rental properties and they just one day decided to sell them all and they, they, they don't need all of what you're offering. It's much easier to say, I'm, I'm canceling a, a subscription than I'm I'm changing accounts, right? It's, it's, that's, that's just the way it is. But other advantages, I mean, you're going to attract staff because you're not going to be working them to death and you're going to, the staff's going to feel confident that your revenues are coming in and that you have a good process and you have good relationships with clients and they're going to be attracted to you because they don't have to fill out a darn timesheet. I mean, that it's huge. Um, you know, you're going to have reduced labor costs because you're not paying through the nose for overtime for if you have hourly workers. And think about this. I mentioned this already, John. Every client you obtain is really an annuity and increases your enter enterprise value. We talked about that. There's no, there's no accounts receivable. It really helps protect your firm against recessions. We have never been more profitable and valuable to our clients than during the pandemic. It, it, so it's like, it's pretty crazy. Um, it also allows your firm to communicate all the work that's going unbilled and unrecognized by the client right now. I can promise you, if you're listening to this, you're probably doing things for your client that that add a value that you're either not charging for and or the client has no clue that you're doing at all. You know, so John, when 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 you when you do the dishes, I'm sure you help Stacy out a lot, and you know she there's oh, a. Yeah. There's like, a, there's, let's say the dishes are in the steak. Now, obviously, you have a younger child, and I've got pretty much two adults, children, almost adult <laughs> children. So we accumulate a lot of dishes. But when you do the dishes, if you just, you know, it'd be nice if, if you just do it every day and Stacy doesn't ever see, even sees a dish, she's not going to recognize it until you, like, leave them out a little bit. So the point is, you're doing stuff. If you're doing stuff for clients, let them know there's a value to that. And he, he, so this allows you to, to recognize that and monetize that instead of them thinking like, oh, well, hold on. I don't need that because I don't want to pay for that. Right. Like yeah. if you're billing hourly sometimes and not saying people are cheap, but it's almost an innate reaction to people is like, oh, if I don't know what you're doing or I don't think it's important, I don't want to pay for it. Right. So part of a membership is they get to see everything that's moving along and just everything, everything works together. Exactly. Probably the bit most common thing would be replying to IRS tax notices, replying to people's emails, um, stuff like that, picking up your phone, um, secure client portals, all your technology costs that you have to incur. So obviously there's a ton of advantages for you as the tax pro, but this has to be mutually beneficial. So there has to be some advantages to the client. And John, you might, and you being on the client side of some of these things, you you can kind of speak to this a little bit, but um, I'd mentioned this already, but just having price certainty is a huge advantage. Like even if a client doesn't love your price, it at least they know what it is. And, and for us, we use evergreen engagement letters. So we actually build in modest price increases um, indefinitely. So a client doesn't think their price is going to double in a year. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've, and we, we clearly define what we call in the industry uh, um, a, a, um, a scope 
you know, the scope, meaning scope creep, meaning, oh gosh, this person's wanting you to do things that not illegal or anything, but they're, they're wanting you to do things beyond what you're, you're engaged to be doing. So we clearly define the scope of the membership in our engagement letter. But the that, price- like you mentioned real estate investors, right? Like you have a membership, you have three properties. They go buy a portfolio, add 25 properties you know, to their portfolio. Obviously, there's a little bit more work that's involved there, right? So that could, I mean, that's scope creep to an advantage or um, to an extreme, I should say. But I have seen that happen, right? Absolutely. So for us, you know, if, if we're working with a, in our private CPA practice, most of our memberships come with up to state tax filing for up to three, three to five states. You know, if you, if you, because we specialize in real estate investors. So John, you live in Michigan. If you bought a property in Indiana, now we have to file an Indiana non-resident return. We don't want us to have to sit there and increase your membership by a couple bucks here and there. We're just going to do it. Now, if you, if you go into eight states at one time, then there's a, then we need to do an addendum to your membership potentially. Absolutely. Uh, but you know, I, I equate it to this. How many times would you go to a restaurant or would you go to a, would you go grocery shopping and, and just go grocery shopping if there were no prices on any items? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, you might absolutely get burgers or you might get like formula. The you necessities. The need. But that's how our business operates if you're not doing this. You work with clients, a lot of times with no set price. So they're afraid to talk to you. You're trying to cut corners and you don't get the best result possible. So price certainty is a huge advantage, even if the clients think your prices are pretty high. You have Absolutely. to have high prices to be able to give the personalized attention and get to the point where you're providing tax planning advice and value instead of just tax compliance. And actually, Chris, to mention too, so this is, um, you know, obviously a, a, having contacts and friends are all around the country and on Unfortunately, a lot of them, have, and this is a kind of an extreme example, but I think a lot of people might be able to relate to this or they may have not gone through it, but they understand the pain point of it. Um, I'm thinking of actually two people specifically who unfortunately went through a marriage separation. So they were going through a divorce, right? And their attorney is, you know, billing them by the hour. Um, I'm trying, I'm definitely not going to give away any hints that's going to alleviate your, um, identify even where this person lives, but it, it's, you know, attorneys are notorious and for, for good reason. And, you know, the service they provide is incredible, but they bill hourly and I've never met a cheap attorney, right? I've, I mean, well, if there are some out there, you might question how good they are, but I've, I, the one individual I'm thinking of specifically was absolutely terrified to email, call, contact their attorney for any reason, because they knew they were going to get billed. I think it was an in increments of 15 minutes for X number of dollars. Um, ended up going through this divorce, got to the end of it, and in a sense lost everything. I wouldn't say lost everything, but it definitely did not work out in their favor because they never even communicated um, to their attorney the things they needed, the really what happened, the situation, et cetera. So the relationship has kind of gone to the dump. I mean, the value of that relationship between attorney and client really kind of went to the dump because they didn't, they, they were terrified to communicate because they were going to be billed by time, not mm -hmm. the process itself, right? So if somebody I mean, said, hey, you know what? Your divorce is going to cost $20,000 or it's going to be between $20,000 and $100,000. We have no idea. Or it's going to cost you you know, $2,000 a month for 10 months. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's everybody I think gets where I'm going with this, right? And I think it supports what you're saying too. It, it builds the value and the communication, builds both sides of the street. Um, for the relationship between clients. Well, I guess if you're a divorce attorney, you need someone that you feel is going to get divorced three, four times in their life to keep them on the membership. So, but that's the, you know, the point is, so what an advantage of the client is positive communication experiences. You nailed it. An email, call, uh, uh, you know, they're not, they're never questioning why you're saying something because, oh, is this for to rack up my bill? They're not afraid. They're not, they're not afraid to call you in, in, or text you or email you or whatever, however, meet with you. Um, it, you know, the other advantage for the client is it, it allows their CPA firm or their tax firm or their enrolled agency firm, it allows your tax professional to invest their time in evaluate our tax strategies instead of turning and burning tax returns. It also frees up, there's an advantage for the client, it frees up your tax pro 
to introduce you to other professionals within your ecosystem and help you solve problems. So, oh gosh, I'm, you know, I'm my what my what you know, like my spouse just left her job and um, she had health insurance, she had health insurance and and medical and uh, life insurance through her employer, but she's going to start a business now. She they've got a problem, right? But most likely, the tax pro knows someone that they can refer in their network to that client. That's adding value. But if the tax pro is consistently turning and burning returns and doesn't have time to do that, or if the client's afraid to call the tax pro, none of that special sauce can happen. And really, Absolutely. it just changed the mindset of the tax pro, and this is the advantage of the client, to be able to provide high-value planning. Um, Absolutely. So. Absolutely. So I think we gave a great definition, overview, comparison, everything warming up to it. So if uh, maybe I'll add a drum roll in here, but let's, Ooh. let's say it as, you know, uh, without further ado in my, in my very deep theatrical, you know, action movie voice, let's talk about those eight steps. And I, and I think the way that you have structured these, and by the way, anybody that's listening to this, you're about to, you're about to embark on these eight steps of converting to this. People have paid, th- I mean, this sounds like a sales pitch. People have paid thousands of dollars to attend events that I, and again, I've been there. I've seen people's eyes light up when we walk through this and kind of going back a little bit to, to support Chris, what you said is totally forget about that. You have any clients at all. Let's pretend you're starting over. This is how you want to operate your business and your firm, not how you are doing it. Get over the fear hill. Let's walk through these steps if we can, Chris. Those eight steps that you guys have identified. That sounds good. First step of eight to getting started to an MBSB. Understanding that the MBSB isn't the future, it's the present. Get the mind shift right. It's it's not. It was the future 10 years ago. It's the now. The really talented, really profitable tax pros that, that have a great balance um, in life are, are there. So you can fight it or you can just join us. Number two, draw a line in the sand. Start small and understand that those legacy client, legacy client implementation happens over time. That's one of the first things I said, but that's step two, because it's like, okay, this isn't the future. It's the now I want to do it. Yes. Oh gosh. I feel handcuffed by those clients. Nope. You're not. Continue to, you can continue to do the way things you are previously. Don't worry about that implementation right away. Find someone on your team to be your firm champion. If you have staff or you become the champion of this, this movement, you, it has to be, it's not going to happen on its own. Once you figure out who's going to kind of be that champion. And if you're a solopreneur, you might be thinking, Dang, I wish I had a team. Honestly, it's so much easier to go to this model by yourself than with a team of 15 to 5, 10, 15 people, believe it or not. It's easier to turn around a motorcycle than an 18-wheeler. So pick if you're a solo solo practitioner, I'm telling you, you got it the easiest. It, you know, it, because you're in control and you would be their own uh, champion. Next, step four. Figure out your firm's four competencies. What do you do really, really well? What do you do better than other people? Preparing tax returns is not a core competency, believe it or not. This is not. If you think it is, then you don't have one. And I'm sorry if that sounds harsh. Everyone in this business does tax returns well, almost everyone. Hopefully the people listening to this and are interested in continuing in. Um, you know, having a secure client portal is not a core competency. Uh, so what are your core competencies? What do you, what's your special sauce? And they should be things, you know, that you kind of like to do. So that's number four. Number for like, for our private CPA practice, our core competency, our number one is that we developed a proprietary tax planning and strategy process that has a ton of intellectual property rights. I don't expect that someone starting is going to have that, but you have something. You might know something really well about farm law, or you might have something that you do super well. That's a that's a competency. 
Mm. Number five, create a list of all your service offerings. What's your menu? And you know what? It, here's the, uh, I'm going to something I'm going to confess to you. When I started my practice 21 years ago, I didn't have a menu. You know what was my menu? Whatever the heck someone's going to pay me to do that's legal. That was my menu. I have this oddball situation up. Oh, we'll make something for you. That is the most inefficient way to run a practice. And actually, on that, Chris, I was, I was trying not to interrupt you on these numbers, but I think that one's super important, right? So when you when you get to that point and you're take and I'm speaking from firsthand experience in a professional services, not tax prep. I'm not a tax pro again. Once you do that, how much? Ta- so here's a question for you. So say it took you 30 minutes to do a task that you're very comfortable with. You know you do very well. You add a lot of value. How much time do you think it would take you? to take on a new task, very challenging, very, we- very we- let's just call it a weird situation, right? Would normally take somebody, say, 30 minutes. You not knowing it very off the wall, how much time do you think you would spend trying to figure that out, aka cutting into other time you could be doing something you're good at, getting paid for, family time, yeah. et cetera? I mean, just hours and hours. I, I probably, you know, it's interesting because that's a great question and we address this in, in, in some of our speaking engagements, when we talk about tax strategies specifically for real estate investors, we went through the IRS instructions where the where it says how much time it would take to learn about this form and learn how to report something. So probably 12 to 15 hours, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. Very- really, it could be for something you would never have to do again, if it's very unique, right? If you're serving the masses. Exactly. It's like you can't bill for 14 hours if, if it should have no, taken you 30 yeah. technically, so, right? That's why the advantage is you're, you're, you're investing in, in knowledge that you can sell over and over, not time. So figure out what your service offerings are. So I apologize for cutting off. It was just very important. No, that's right. So once you figure out what your service offerings are, you might be looking at yourself in the mirror saying, oh, dang, I don't even have a menu. That's okay. Create one. Create one. Because it, and then... This is also part of step five. Put in order highest value to lowest value, right? So what's the highest value thing you do for your clients right now? What's your most profitable service line? It could be some type of tax prep. It could be um, gift tax preparation because you're you're an expert in that and not many people know about gift taxes. Could be for, and then what's your least valuable? Your least valuable might be processing payroll, might be logging on to some janky system and paying your client's sales tax. That's least value, right? I know you're smiling because it sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? It sounds like somebody went through one of those or two of those. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there there are some dark days, you know? Um, And then... um, so yeah, so I mean that's 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 what it's all about. Then so go high to low, right? The next so you are so now think about this. You've created, you've figured out what you're good at, you've created your menu, you've met and you've gone from what's our highest margin stuff on the menu to what's our lowest margin stuff on the menu. What's our filet mignon? What's our side of french fries? Okay. Now this is where it gets fun. Step six out of eight. Figure out your top two client segments or industries. Niches, if you will. A niche doesn't have to be an industry. That's why I say segment or industry. If you live in, I don't know, John Pick a darn place. Uh, Boise, Idaho. Okay. Good old potato farming. If I didn't pick California like we usually do on our other podcast. No. We always pick on California. We won't pick on California today. You live in Boise, Idaho. Obviously, farming could be a, could be a, a segment or a niche that you're into, or you might just enjoy, you know, working with a certain segment of clients. And, you, and let's say you're in a suburb of Boise, they in and, and they have, and you just like working with clients in that town or that area. And or I'll give you an example, man. If I had to start all over again. And I, from scratch, I would brand myself as the pickleball CPA. I have, you know, 
You knew pickleball had to come out sometime, right? I was waiting for it. I, I didn't you know it would take us 43 minutes to get into it, but, you know. <laughs> I love pickleball, so. right? So the cool thing is, if I'm a, if I'm working with clients, just because not, if I'm working with clients that all love pickleball, we already have that in common. And that's my segment. I love pickleball mm-hmm. players. They might have different situations, but I'm going to be able to take their situations and relate it to game. Or we're just going to have that bond. So maybe you're really involved. Maybe you went to Boise State University and you you uh, are really involved in their alumni association and you want to work with Boise State alums on specifically. You get to talk football. You get to talk recruiting. So the point is find your your top two segments or industries. <clears throat> so what are you good at? Competency is step four. What are What's your menu? Step five, what's most profitable? Step six, who do you want to sell that menu to? Who do you want to attract? Step seven, build a service package. Build that first service package that involves your high value stuff that's scalable for your top two client segments. So high value, scalable, top two client segments. That's it. That's step seven. Now, step seven is extremely difficult. We do, I mean, we spend time um, in, we have some, and I, we have uh, some uh, mastermind groups that we d- walk through every step of building a package. The good thing is once you build one package, you could, build, you could sell that package over and over again, um, build that package, price that package, and, or we, we do some, some uh, recurring revenue retreats just on step seven. But step seven is great because once you build it, then you can use it over and over again. So let's use a Boise. I can't believe we're talking about Boise, Idaho. I've never been there. I'd like to go, actually. You being, though, a Michigan State fan, I should have said Ann Arbor, Michigan. You know, where uh, University of Michigan is, biggest rival. So Last time I was there uh, was with you, and, and uh, <laughs> you were not happy. You were not happy about that. I wasn't happy. But if I, if I would have said that, let's put it this way. So the, we would we would you would have thrown everything off the day if I would have said Ann Arbor you would have just your computer went crashing that would have been the end of the podcast we'd have to bring somebody else on but uh, I was as kind so so but let, let's think okay let's say you're con- you lo- let's say you want to focus you live in Boise Idaho you want to focus on building a tax planning and strategy and tax preparation practice for for football athletes current athletes and former athletes that went to Boise State University especially with NIRL, name, image, likeness, now that college athletes can be paid, um, or former athletes are entering the workforce, build a package and think about what their concerns are. They're probably pretty physically fit. They're probably, you know, so your package might be called the touchdown package. The You might have one that's the field goal and the punt or something. Like whatever you want it to be, it could be whatever. But you build the package because the bottom line is if you don't build these packages, the clients are going to come in and order things because you don't have a menu and you're going to be scrambling around. And just like you said from the beginning, you're just not your workflow is going to control you. You're not going to control it. Final step of the eight, commit to using this for the next five prospective clients. Don't worry about the legacy clients. Give it five prospects and I hope you do not get all those five prospects as clients. Because if you do, you're charging too little. Try to get the out of the next five prospective clients. Try to have a reasonable goal of those two of two of those prospective clients becoming actual clients into this membership based model. Awesome. That would be Chris. Hopefully, I'm not stealing your thunder at all. There, um, if uh, if I do say this, but I'm actually gonna I'm gonna walk through. I'm gonna give us a really quick recap from the average Joe here, myself, just on those eight. But something I hear you say all the time, which is very relatable to number eight there, mm-hmm. which is your best clients will pick your next clients or your best client will pick your next client. So why that resonates with me looking at number eight there, you know, committing to using this for the next five prospective clients, you're already setting the expectations. You're you're building you're building a great relationship from the get-go where you're going into it so mutually beneficial the expectations are there on both sides of the fence it's you're creating and you're you're almost cherry picking in a sense your best client to then 
it scales up. So that being said, I'm just going to run through those eight really, really quick. I'll try for 30 seconds or 45 seconds, but then also I'm going to copy these and I'm going to put them in the show notes here. So even as I'm running through these, I'll fly through them. Chris, you explained them fantastic, but people can reference them, right? So looking back, so we're looking at number one. We want, we just want to recognize that, you know, it, it's not the future, it's the present. So look at today. Don't look back, looking forward a little bit. It's today. You live in today. Make the change. Identify it and go with it, right? Two, drawing that line in the sand, I think is how you referenced it, Chris, is just understanding yeah. that, you know, yes, you you have legacy clients. Those are your current clients, right? And implementing this or this change, they'll adapt it or adopt to it over time. It's not going to happen right away. Three, I think we were talking about, you know, pick a team member within your team to, to really run with it, right? So be be your champion, be the leader, kind of they own that process. They own the implementation of it, which really I took that as, you know, you're, you're identifying somebody who has a lot of potential to grow within your organization, not just, oh yeah, you know, go knock these little tasks out. You're really crafting and adding value to that person and the, the position that they're in with you. It's, it's great. So that's, that's a little bit of a challenge. I think maybe for some people, if they don't have somebody yet, but maybe they can go find them. Number four, I wrote down here, you know, identifying the firm's core competencies. And you explained it very well. I don't think I need to go into that, but identifying what they really are, tax prep not being one of them. So we'll leave it at that. Like I said, you explained it. Five was really looking at the current service offerings, right? And ordering them from highest in value to lowest. And then six, picking your top two client segments or industry. I've seen people living in the South, people that only target um, fishermen or Longliners, stock brokers, very, very, very specific. Truck drivers is one that I've seen. Um, very, you can get very, very niche. Daycares is another one we've seen. Vet clinics, veterinary clinics, etc. That's number six. Number seven is building that package. Um, again, menu offerings and high value and very scalable. Right, the one to many rule is fantastic. If we do something one time, you can sell it over and over again. So much value. And then eight, Chris, as you mentioned, and we touched on briefly as well is trying it with five prospective clients. And what you said too was, I took it as, if you try it on number one and they absolutely shoot you down, it's okay. It's probably for the better, right? Like modify your pitch a little bit, maybe go back, tweak your menu a little bit, make those changes. Even if you get zero out of five, you know, be be stubborn, go for six, go for seven, go for eight, you never know. So and you're gonna hopefully be able- I did an average Joe recap for us worth Yeah. It, I'm going to go eight beat. You're going to be a little clunky. So if you send those five prospective clients, even if you go zero for five, you know what? You probably have five clients in your clients base that would like this. Now you're equipped to pitch it to them. That's okay. Perfect. Because remember, perfect, perfect. You know, yeah, you let your best client pick your next client. Um, so that's the, Those are the eight steps. Now we're going to sprinkle. We got a few minutes left, John, to sprinkle a little special sauce. Ooh, uh, okay. On on these good good people, good listeners. So I'm intrigued. Right. I don't know what you're going to say. So hopefully it's good. And I'm sure. Yeah. And, and again, we would love the feed. We'd love feedback from our listening base. Um, you know, John's in the show notes. We're going to give you opportunities to interact with us, interact with each other. Um, so what are the keys, right? So we talked about the eight steps, but what are what are my hacks, for lack of a better term? Because we have a few minutes left for doing this model, okay? Um, and usually this is paid content, but we're just going to let it fly. <laughs> <laughs> I would say your accountant's going to be pissed, but, you know, it's all good. <laughs> you are. So, obviously, we talked about you need to develop a bunch of some of these fo- the following things. You need that firm champion that's um, for to that discovery, consultation, and pricing. You have to have some type of formal discovery process before you offer a membership. You have to do the discovery process is two ways. You're learning about the client. The client's learning about your practice. You're trying to figure out if you're a good fit. And if you're not, that's okay. You'd rather have that discovery meeting, be it 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And you, and even I can tell you in my experience, even if you have a discovery meeting and you didn't, um, it's not a good fit as far as a full firm membership or, or a client. It's okay. It is okay because they're going to ask questions that you just got reps answering. And, the, and and they might come back to you. They might say, 
Mm-hmm. I'm not there yet. Okay, that's fine. I'm, I'll come back later. Nay, I already mentioned this. Name each package or program. We have our own proprietary names. Name it based on what your niche is, what your segment is. Not, please don't call it like, unnamed, like don't, whatever you call it, just name it. Okay. Even if it's gold, silver, bronze, you know, hopefully you're more, a little more uh, saucy than Get that. Creative. Yes. As I mentioned, you'll, you'll upset your accountant there. Then if you don't name it anything creative, you're really going to upset your marketing guy. I'll tell you that. You don't want to so. do that. Um, <laughs> use this client acquisition process should have visual aids, uh, videos, template emails. So again, it comes down to the, the client prospecting process. Create that. Visual aids are amazing because what we are, what we're, what someone's subscribing to and basically is, is it's intangible other than a PDF of a tax return. How do you, how do you make an aid for your not, your knowledge that visual aid can be, I mean, John, you know, we have tons of them from like rental property reporting, or we use visual aids on almost every discovery meeting. Do I expect the client will, will memorize the visual aid? No, but when, when someone says, I'm considering an S Corp versus a Schedule C, I already have a five minute video I created and I have a chart showing what forms an S Corp, what are the positives and negatives of each type of entity. I'll bring that up right in the discovery meeting. Ours are all virtual, but I'm sharing my monitor. Template emails also. You know, you're going to want to, we, 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 if you have a minimum membership amount or a membership minimum fee, communicate that right away so that you're not, you know, fishing in freshwater for a saltwater fish. Develop your own pricing calculator, including a client onboarding fee. Make sure your price set up. You know, and, and make sure when you do that, your price setup, your pricing is set up where even if someone was a member for one month, you're going to collect what you would have collect, collected for them being a client for a year, right? Because the, the fear is like, oh, this guy's or this girl's going to become a, a member. I'm going to prepare their tax return and then they're going to leave the next day. You've got to figure out how to underwrite that yourself. Become your own underwriter. That's a pricing calculator. Again, we're going to mention some tools um, and some uh, resources we have at the MRR Institute to help you with that. Figure out your firm's capacity to conduct formal meetings and work backwards on scalability. So for us, we used to have conduct about two and a half formal meetings per client, which obviously per year, which obviously then gives you some type of capacity issue, even if you're really efficient in our private CPA practice. Now we've gotten that number down to about one meeting per client because we created um, a service called CPA Urgent Care, which is proprietary, where clients can come in, come in and have access to us on an on-demand basis instead of setting up these formal one-hour meetings. Again, mm-hmm. you've got to figure out what if you're a solo shop and you you got to figure out. Okay, maybe I'll meet each client two and a half times a year. If I have a if I have three hundred meetings available through the year, I hope you might have more. But let's just say. 300 meetings or more or less likely, let's say you have 500 meetings available per year, just making a number up and you meet people two and a half times, then you know you can pretty much bring on 200 clients, 200 membership. And that one too, to, to kind of in, inject a little bit. So when you mentioned CPA Urgent Care and how that correlates and relates to some of the other things you had mentioned too, right? So what I took by that is by offering the opportunity for them to ask a one-off question, A, I mean, going back to what we talked a little bit earlier, right? Like they know they're not going to get billed for it. They're not going to get a bill for X much, you know, for a two minute call or a two minute question. They're not going to get billed for 15 minutes, 30 minutes in an hour. So that barrier is down, right? They have access to get on there and ask that question because they are an ongoing member, right? So they're a monthly member on that. If they, if they stop paying or cancel, they no longer have access to that. But then on the flip side, so that's value for them but value for the firm, right? So now you've taken what is likely going to be a question at the absolute worst time they could ask. And that's probably two days before the tax deadlines. Y'all are crunched in time. They're going to get a response back. That's maybe not really personalized. It's kind of canned because you guys are in a crunch time. They're frantic. They need the answer. It just becomes a whirl, a whirlwind of data collection disaster. We can call it right. So it's by offering that, 
it 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 just makes it easy. So hopefully that sees or that lays it out a little bit how everything's connected and, and really the importance of that one specifically. Absolutely. And once you get this really developed, like we have, you can build a referral system where you're compensated for prospects that aren't even a good fit, right? You can you can find another fit for them. Um, you and then once you really build this out, you can build strategic partnerships so that you can so that you can monetize some of these other referrals that you're making, some of these other tax planning implementation pieces that you're doing and other work. And then eventually you're going to create a process to convert your transactional legacy clients to MBSB. So, um, you know, again, we've got a lot more. There's a, those are the steps. That's what you need to develop. I'm going to close it out. I'm going to close it out with my five items. Actually, I'll give you a bonus one. I'll give you six firm mindset and culture changes that have to occur to make this make this work. And I'm just going to rattle them, Johnny T. And, and, Go and, for it. Go no, for we have other it. content that's available that we can expand on this, but this is what I'm going to leave you guys with. This is probably going to be the most important minute you listen to here. Of course, we're going to save it for the end. So these six things have to change in your firm's mindset and culture to make this work. And if you can commit to this, you will. Number one, be a price maker, not a price taker. Number two, you have to learn how to say no to be able to say yes in your practice. Three, rule out uh, potential bad client fits due to either price sensitivity, they're not responsive, they have unrealistic, unrealistic expectations and unstable, or they're unstable. You have to develop a your client acquisition process to identify those for potential landmines. Remember, number four, tax returns are a verb, not a noun. Number five, it's a problem until there is a process. We talked about MBSB being process-based and processes are scalable. Final thing, sales don't solve problems. Processes solve problems. Now that's some good nuggets right there. And I will, I'm gonna add one more thing to this and this is a question for you, Chris, I know you did not see this coming, but I've seen this a lot, spending a lot of time with you guys, you know, on the on the private practice side and a lot of events, you know, over the, the past couple of years. There and this this is gonna be tough to be a, a very shorter answer on it, but there's a lot of tax pros that say, Whoa, 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 I don't want to make any change at all. I love that there's a tax season. I love just disappearing for four, six months out of the year and then sitting on a beach the rest of the year. So what what would be your response to somebody that says that? And it's again, this is not a fit for everybody, this change, but if somebody is very, I wouldn't say very strong feeling about that, but they're very comfortable with a quote unquote taxed season, what would you say to them about possibly making this change? I would say, go ahead and stay doing what you're doing and I'm gonna clean up and get all the great clients. Ooh, there you go. And by the way, everybody, that is a very short answer from somebody who really likes to give detail because he's very detail oriented. So kudos to you, Chris, for that one. I, I appreciate that. But my pleasure. We will and and yep, so no more no more questions, no more topics on this stuff, at least on this podcast specifically. There's a lot more we can go into this. And again, I think we covered so much in this show. Um yeah, let's just be happy that there's a pause, rewind, replay button wherever you're listening to this because this is something that, you know, it, it does take significant effort to do. But I will say again, firsthand, I have seen Chris go from a two-man shop or a man-woman shop um, mm -hmm. about 20 years ago to growing, growing, growing. You guys had what, like 16 offices, you know, three, 4,000, um, I said employees, three or 4,000 clients. I mean, you guys were huge, right? But I seen it y'all were running rampant as all get up, right? And then here we are in the past year, year and a half. Um, I mean, we've launched some businesses together. I mean, this being one of them, right? This would have never even been a possibility if you were stuck in that grind, right? Then sales don't solve problems. Processes solve problems. Thanks you so much for going through this with us, Chris. I know everybody that listens to this, obviously you have a lot of takeaways um, again, hopefully you got on, got a CP for this one. So don't forget about that. Time time is money, so make it worth every cent possible. And as always, thank you so much 
for joining us here on the Mr. R Show. Hey everyone, thanks for hanging out with us here on this episode. Hopefully you went back and got the CPE credit for this one. But more importantly, hopefully you took a lot of notes from this. And really, if anything you took from it, a little bit of inspiration and motivation that there is a better way to possibly do things than you are doing now. If you feel trapped in those timesheets, kind of the grind of you know what is commonly referred to as tax season, kind of getting out of that, building those relationships with your clients and really looking at them at the end of the year or at the beginning of the year and saying, wow, I, I have true partnerships in place here, not just client-vendor relationships. So again, hopefully you took great notes from this. To make it even easier, we put those steps, I outlined them very briefly, put them in the show notes with wherever you're listening to this. It'll either be, I've heard, to the left and the right in specific places, but usually it's right below. So be sure to check that out. And new little nugget for you. We've actually launched a private Facebook group for our audience. So if you get on Facebook and you look up just Tax Pro 2.0, it should come up in there. But again, I'm all about ease and simplicity. I've actually put the link directly to that private group in the show notes as well. So be sure to join that group. Send us any questions you have, maybe on this topic specifically. If you haven't had the opportunity to hear Chris speak on this to a group, I definitely, definitely urge you to do so if you're at an event where he's on the schedule for that. So that being said, we look forward to our next episode where we touch on another fantastic topic and really helping you to build a very profitable, manageable, and enjoyable firm. The content of this podcast does not constitute an offer of securities. Offerings can only be made through an offering memorandum, and you should carefully examine the risk factors and other information contained in the memorandum. The content provided is for educational purposes only. We encourage you to seek personalized investment advice from your financial professional. For all tax and legal advice, please consult your CPA or attorney. Investment advisory services are offered through Cabin Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Cabin Securities, a registered broker-dealer.